Hi, my name is uh, Alex Schnitzel. Um, on my right side is uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Before all these young uh, lads from from Britain and from America, like Nicholas Fuentes from America and Keith Woods from from Britain, there was only one man, in my opinion, and through my experience, that for the for decades long fought the the Jewish rule in America and in the world, and it was. Uh, my uh, my guest, Dr. Jones, and I would uh, like to emphasize how lucky we are in Slovenia that we get to witness that he comes to my podcasts and, and discusses his uh, opinions on on geopolitics and, and, and so forth. Dr. Jones, thank you once again that you um, came to my podcast. Well, thank you for that kind introduction. Uh, it was sincere. Um, I, I propose before we began. I propose that we uh, we um, do some um, um, things with with your with your newest book, your newest book, Holocaust uh, narrative. Tell us something about it. What is it about besides Holocaust narrative, of course, uh, and um, yeah. Well, um, I, uh, I started off in life, my intellectual life, being a professor of American literature, and that meant studying pieces of literature. And after I got involved in journalism, I wrote about just about everything in the world. But uh, I started to realize that uh, after I did the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, that there was a story that was associated with the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, uh, a series of stories, and they were the, the story of the Holocaust. The Holocaust is... I think the founding myth of the American empire. Uh, it's like the Aeneid. Does that mean that the Aeneid, uh, does that mean the events never happened? No, that's not what a myth is. A myth is a story. It's the Greek word for story. And this story explains uh, why we do the things that we do. And it also explains how the people uh, who are in charge now, the, the Jews, uh, how they got to be in charge of the American empire. Uh, I say this because the Biden administration uh, is clearly an example of what I'm talking about. We have, uh, I, I did an article called Biden's Minion, which was about the 10 Jews in Biden's cabinet. And I was rebuked by a listener who sent me a picture of 457 Jews in the White House alone. The entire staff of the Biden administration is run by Jews uh, and it's run in their interest. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing today. Uh, and the one way that they get their in they get their way whenever they get involved in any discussion is to say i have relatives who died in the holocaust this has become the universal get out of jail card when you're caught uh, not doing your job or doing something you're not supposed to and uh, after i said it uh, it seems to me anthony anthony blinken the jewish secretary of state is determined to prove me right he's determined to prove that i'm right uh, in May of this year, the United States issued the most comprehensive plan to fight anti-Semitism in human history, largely because of those people. <laughs> they were in charge of the Biden administration. And one month later, 
uh, Anthony Blinken came out with a video that uh, talked about how his stepfather had been in a, a three or five, depending on who you talk to, concentration camps. And that how uh, this was, in a sense, the, 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 the thing that created Anthony Blinken. Okay, and then he told a touching story about his stepfather out in the, uh, in the woods outside of, uh, in Bavaria, somewhere near Dachau. Uh, he hears a tank. Uh, he goes, looks, it's not a German tank, it's an American tank. He runs out to the tank. Tank hatch opens up, and this black guy pops out, and Blinken says the only three words he knows, not Blinken, Pizar says the only three words he knows in English, God bless America, and the black guy lifts him up into the tank, into freedom, and into uh, America. Uh, touching story. The only problem is it could never have happened. He, he made, Pizar made it up. The, there was one black tank division, 761st, who was basically, uh, it was in Europe, but at the time Blinken was, or Bizar was where he was, his stepfather, the Black Battalion was at least 100 miles away. It couldn't, ha couldn't have happened. So what you have here is a story that uh, is the basis for Jewish power. It's the basis for Jewish power in America and it's also the basis for the founding of the State of Israel. And so what happens is this war breaks out in Israel. Anthony Blinken goes to Tel Aviv he announces in Tel Aviv that he walks up to the microphone. There's Benjamin Netanyahu there. He says, I'm the U.S. Secretary of State, but I come to you as a Jew. At that point, he lost any ability he had to broker a deal here because he sided one side. The United States is supposed to be an independent broker here. He blew that, sided with the, with the Israelis. What we have is one more instance of a Jew talking to a Jew, hijacking American foreign policy, using it to promote Jewish interests. And in order to make sure that you get the message and you do what he does, he says, uh, and by the way, uh, my father, my stepfather was in a concentration camp and I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. This is why I wrote the book. This is the universal get out of jail card right now for the American empire. Uh, and it's not just true of the United States. The same thing is true of Canada. We had uh, the situation of the trucker convoy that had nothing to do with the Holocaust. It was about COVID regulations. The truckers get to Ottawa and uh, they, want, they want some type of plan, how this is, they're going to be able to get back to work. And instead of doing that, the uh, uh, United, the uh, government, the Justin Trudeau government in Canada, uh, accuses them of being Nazis. Why did they do this? Because someone found a flyer next to a truck that was made in Florida, it had nothing to do with the trucker. As soon as you associate someone with the Holocaust, that's the end of the discussion. You don't have to take that person seriously. You can do whatever you want. And the proof of it was the uh, representative uh, in parliament, a lady by the name of Yara Sachs, she stands up and gives a speech and the first thing she says is, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. And then after destroying the credibility of the other side by saying that, she goes on to say the famous words, honk honk equals Heil Hitler. 
In other words, we can use this at any time. You don't have to even be near talking about the Holocaust. If we can bring it around to that, we can destroy your credibility and we can uh, destroy whatever rights you have. And after she said that, Christia Freeland, who is associated with real Nazis in the Ukraine, but we don't want to talk about that, uh, froze their bank accounts and deprives them of the right to have uh, stole their money. So that's why I wrote the book. Uh, that's what's happening now. It's these people are determined to prove me right by opening every conversation with this this type of narrative. And and I'm saying it's not working anymore. I think what we're seeing in the war now, uh, the, the best example I can give is again, Anthony Blinken. After the war broke out, after he gave that speech that I just talked about in Tel Aviv, Blinken flew to Saudi Arabia, which is supposed to be one of our allies. And this time around, it's last time around, he didn't get what he wanted. This time around, uh, the MBS, the uh, head, the king there, uh, had him wait six hours before he talked to him. Total humiliation of this man who was a complete failure as a diplomat because the only thing he knows how to say is, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. It really seems that something happened. I, I, I listened to Alex Jones today. Even Alex Jones said that he had enough uh, of this Jewish um, holocaustology or Auschwitzing, as, as I often put it. Uh, it really seems we, we've often showed some, some sort of optimism throughout the years. We, we, we spoke, we talked to each other, but it really seems that now the big mass of people is finally starting to realize what you've known for, for, for decades. What, what, what do you think happened? They overplayed their hand. They did, they did it one too many times. And on top of that, what, what, what did happen here? Uh, the point of doing this book is to look into the narrative. Well, what happened, let's say with Blinken, is we found out he was lying to us. That's a lie. And so over this period of time, what happened is that gradually uh, uh, an idea came to, into being, which is basically the truth is the opinion of the powerful. It's always been there lurking at the back of Western civilization. Uh, when Thrasymachus talks to Socrates, he says that justice is the opinion of the powerful, uh, implying, of course, the truth is also the opinion of the powerful. And Socrates takes issue with that, and that is the beginning of Western civilization, where you say, no, there are some type of objective realities there. There's a logos to the universe that the human mind cannot obliterate. Well, I think that's what, what, what's happening here. What, what we're saying is, so Blinken told this story. It's not true. And I think that the, the accumulation, the accumulation of all these narratives, which are not true, uh, eventually caught up with them. And people are, are willing to stand up and say, no, it's not true. It's not true. Now, now okay, now what do you mean by it's not true? Well, obviously, in that instance, Samuel Pizar was not rescued by a black uh, uh, soldier in a tank. That is not true. It could not happen. We know this because they tried this narrative in 1993 
when there was black Jewish rioting in Brooklyn because uh, the Messiah had, the Jewish Messiah had run a traffic light and killed a kid. And they wanted to calm it down, they being the establishment, the deep state. And so PBS did a documentary on this saying not only did they, the 7061st rescue one guy, they, they liberated Dachau. Well, they didn't do that. And now, uh, it was the, at that point, it was the American Jewish Committee that said they didn't do it. Even the Jews had to object to that, admit that it's true. But that was 30 years ago. And these guys have become drunk on their power, and they think that they can get away with saying anything. And now we're realizing that the results of giving them that blank check has been disastrous. I mean, okay, we had the Blinken's responsible for the war in the Ukraine. He used that, uh, a variation on that, saying, my grandfather was persecuted by the czar in Russia. And so, therefore, we have to go to war with the Ukraine. Victoria Nuland said the same thing. That's the beginning of the war in the Ukraine. The Jews once again hijacked the American government and got us into a war for their interest. Now they tried it again, and I think they, they, they've just gone too far. They've gone too far. The, the, the people are saying now, it's not true. If it's not true, we don't have to follow it. We don't have to believe you. We don't have to do what you say. It's not true. And I think there's a... a uh, that's that's what happened in the in this period of time. These are all secular Jews. Uh, what what is in your personal opinion? Of course, I'm asking you to speculate. But uh, what kind of interest could they have besides financial in Ukraine and Israel, for example? Okay, they they might have some ethnic or racial sympathies towards their. Uh, Jewish Jewish brothers, uh, um, but th th they are not religious. They are not religious Jews. They are not Orthodox Jews. They they don't believe in God. So, what do you think personally? What what motivates the, motivates them in 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 Ukraine, and what motivates them in in Israel? Uh, well, at that point, I think you're going to have to talk about theological issues. And you're going to have to get back to the, the point that I made when I wrote The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, which was uh, basically based on a theological premise uh, that when the Jews killed Christ, they, they, uh, they, they murdered the Logos incarnate. And when you attack Logos, you're attacking the order of the universe, which was created by God, because Logos is God, as St. John said. And so it becomes a theological battle over who... Who's in touch with God? Is it the Christians or is it the Jews? The Jews have a temple. The Jews are the chosen people. Uh, the, the Jews have, are the seed of Abraham. They said that to Jesus Christ in the Gospel of St. John. And so they're not going to accept this guy as the, their Messiah, and they're going to become revolutionaries, which is what you do when you in re rebellion against the Logos of the universe. Well, that lasted for about 33 years, and then they rose up. They decided we're going to act on our revolutionary spirit. They rose up against Rome, and Rome came and crushed that rebellion and destroyed the temple. Now, the temple is the way Jews expiated sin. They burnt animals as an expiation of sin. So when you destroy the temple, they have no way of expiating sin. Well, that everybody sins. Everybody accumulates guilt. How do you deal with guilt? As Catholics, we go to confession. 
How does, that's the new Jerusalem. That's the new Israel. Uh, that's the Israel founded by Jesus Christ. But what do they do when they turn their back on the only possibility for dealing with guilt? Well, first they project it onto other people. And they've been doing that for 2,000 years. And they're doing it right now with the Palestinians. They're the ones who would fall. This was an unprovoked attack. Those, whatever they did, you know, Hamas, there was no reason for this attack. Well, yes, there was. We all know what was going on in, uh, in Israel. I, I don't, we don't, I'm not condoning anything that anybody did, but to say that it's an unprovoked attack is wrong. It's simply not wrong. It's wrong. It, it, it's not true. So I think that the, the sense of desperation keeps building over this period of time. I think that the Jews understand that things are not going well. The fact that they're still fighting like an existential fight right now for their continued existence after all of these years uh, is a sign that things are not going well. This should not be happening 75 years after the founding of the state of Israel, but it is because they've never treated the Palestinians with justice or respect. And so what you, this is, uh, I just wrote an article about this. It'll appear in the next issue of Culture Wars. And I'm basically talking about Ehud Barak, Ehud Barak is a former prime minister of Israel. And I said, there's a specter haunting Israel. Now, since you're a, you're a former communist, you know that that's the first line of the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx said there was a specter haunting Europe. And he said it was communism. And I'm saying the specter haunting Israel is what Ehud Barak said in this interview. He said, basically, no Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 80 years. Well, that means five years to go. And this sense of desperation, I mean, he articulated, he should know. Uh, he's not the only guy who feels this way, I'm sure. And I think one of the manifestations of this feeling was the fact that 800 crazy Israelis uh, stormed the... Uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, and that was the proximate cause of Al-Aqsa Flood. The, the Hamas called it Al-Aqsa Flood because they're, they're defending the third holiest site in Islam against a Jewish takeover. Why do the Jews want to do this? Why are they so obsessed with the Al-Aqsa Mosque? Because it's built on the foundation of the temple. All of those big stones, the wailing wall, where every pol American politician has to go and put on a yarmulke and stick a little piece of paper in the wall there. That's the foundation of the temple. And I think they understand, they have this deep theological understanding that yeah. they're, going to have, they're going to have to rebuild the temple in order to deal with the guilt, the accumulated guilt of all these years. If they rebuild the temple, they will prove that Christianity is false and they will prove that they are right. And that, I think, has injected a note of desperation into their, into their thinking right now. I, I was always wondering why it, it, could, it could have been that they, that they only um, play roles or something. But um, there are rabbis that say Jerusalem was never a... Um, a um, capital in 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 a, a flashy sense that it's a it's a mental it's a ideological it's a religious capital of 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 
Jewish state and even um, when they uh, speak about state they don't speak about material state they speak about ideological state but then there you you have uh, Jews like Ben Shapiro who who's showing himself to be a rather hysterical um, Jewish uh, nationalist uh, or even a chauvinist um, he used to say that he doesn't care about secular Jews he doesn't who are secular Jews he only cares about Orthodox or religious Jews yet he cares so much about material state of Jews that's been 80% secular since its beginnings do you think that these people are not to their senses or well, what they, they, they have they have multiple personality disorder i think ben shapiro is a guy who has multiple personality disorder because he claims to be a conservative at some point and one of the real revelations of this past few days is he blew his cover as as a conservative he's not a conservative He's a raving uh, Zionist, as you as you pointed out. He's a raving Jewish nationalist, Jewish uh, chauvinist, who's only interested in Israel, and has no no real concern for principles. All principle goes out the door as soon as he feels the Jewish uh, hegemony is being threatened, and then he's willing to call out and use any means whatsoever to uh, deal with this threat. Wouldn't wouldn't a conservative insist on uh, following the rules of law? Uh, the just war theory or something like that in the prosecution of war. No, it's no holds barred uh, because because he feels threatened. And so I think it's a, it's it's a it's a, 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 a front. I think it's a it's a it's show like wh why he showed up here in South Bend and gave a speech at the right to life banquet in South Bend, Indiana. Well, uh, is Ben uh, pro-life? Yeah, I, I accept what he says. I believe he's, he's pro-life. Uh, so I got up and I asked a question. I said, well, is, is abortion a fundamental Jewish value? 400 organizations just said it was. Uh, and he said, they're not real Jews. I said, Ben, that, that's 400 organizations. You're one guy. I said, are you the Jewish pope? that You can excom excommunicate the overwhelming majority of, of Jews? Uh, he didn't want to answer that question. He didn't want to answer that question. So another Jewish guy, liberal Jew, picked it up and he called him the Jewish Pope. Sam Sater called him the Jewish Pope because he's always excommunicating Jews who don't conform to the, the gospel according to Ben Shapiro. This is implausible and I think it's finally over now. He kind of blew his cover. It's hard to take him seriously as a, an American. I think Nick, Nick Fuentes just pointed this out analyzing one of these hysterical rants about we have to do something to save Israel. He's not talking like an American. He's talking about it's like someone who wants to use America to defend Jewish privilege throughout the world, especially Israel. You know, and I think he's sincere when he says it, but he, I think he's sincerely confused that he hasn't been able to bring these two identities together. Uh, they've never been able to do that. They've never been able to uh, live in a country and accept the rules of the country they live in, uh, sincerely. They just don't do it. This was the issue that Napoleon raised with him when he, he was the first one to emancipate the Jews. And he said to the Jews, 
the Sanhedrin in Paris, I think it was 1806, are, are, are you willing to defend France? And they said, jusqu'à la mort, unto death. <laughs> Who's death? You mean they're willing, they're willing to kill for America, they're willing to kill for Israel, but they're not willing to die for Israel. They want Americans to die for Israel. That's been the dichotomy ever since. And I think the Biden administration has shown definitively that Jews cannot represent the American people or any other people. If you put them in office, they will use their public office to advance Jewish interests. And that, if, if it's Merrick Garland, the attorney general, that means punishing Catholics because they're pro-life. If it's Anthony Blinken, it means involving America in a war for Israel's interests uh, or, or the, uh, the Ukraine war for Jewish interests, the interest of BlackRock, the big financiers who are behind the war in Ukraine. I think there, there's no way out of coming to this conclusion right now. You cannot have a Jew in any elected office or appointed office in the government of the United States of America. Now, I think you can extrapolate this to other countries. But I mean, I think this is the lesson we have to learn. If we're going to restore order here, we have to step in and say, someone's going to have to step in and say, no, we're not going to die for Israel. We're not going to die for Zelensky and his crooked operation in the Ukraine. And this is the moment where we're going to have to do it because they, they've captured the government of the United States of America. We have two aircraft carriers now off the coast of Gaza. Where is this going to go? What, who is going to pull their hands off the steering wheel before the car goes over the cliff? I've said before, we've been in this situation before. After World War II, Secret, the Jew Morgenthau, who was Secretary of the Treasury, had a plan to starve, starve the Germans to death. And it was only because the WASP ruling class stood up and said that Semitic vengeance should not be the basis of American foreign policy that he got shoved aside and we got the Morgenthau plan and people started to eat in Germany again. 1946-47 is known as Das Hungerjahr in Germany. Their warehouses were full of food and none of it was getting to the German people because Morgenthau was, uh, what, had a policy based on Semitic vengeance. Herbert Hoover stood up to it. Patton stood up to it and was murdered, I think, because of that. But this is, this is precisely the issue we have to face now. Are we going to send troops now, troops on the ground to Israel, troops on the ground to the Ukraine? This is not going to work. Um, this is an important question uh, to me. I know we have a Biden's administration now and the, the majority of... of of the cabinet or all of them are, are Jews, but it really seems as if throughout the years when I went through development, political um, development, when you get to get to sort of red peeled and then Jew peeled, up till a couple of years ago, we still thought that right-wing or conservatism is at least a little bit less Jewish than, than the left-wing. For example, we saw a um, some sort of savior in, in Donald Trump um, uh, 
and uh, throughout the world, not only um, you Americans, but nowadays it came to be very evident that conservatism or right-wingism, as it is proposed from America to the, the rest of the world, is basically the substrate of, of, of Zionism. Why are not left-wingers so passionately pro-Israelis? Okay, I know um, I have some experiences with left-wingers when I ask them. They, they, there are some naive people that hate uh, nationalism. Ergo, they hate uh, Israel nationalism. Ergo, that's why they are pro-Palestine, because they see Palestine people as this small folk who are the victims of, of uh, a chauvinism, nationalism of, uh, of a bigger, stronger um, force. But what's your opinion on this? Why are left-wingers uh, less hysterical about Israel than right-wingers? Well, I think you have to go back to the pale of the settlement uh, in the 19th century. And there were two, two ideologies circulating around that time. Uh, one was Jewish nationalism, which was called Zionism, and the other was Jewish internationalism, which was called communism. They were both Jewish ideologies. They're both motivated by the same, I guess, the same principle of tikkun olam, which means you're going to heal the world. This is the legacy of the, the Jews being God's chosen people. They never got over it. They stopped believing in God at some point or other, in the 19th century, when just about everybody stopped believing in God in certain circles. You know, this is the era of uh, Feuerbach uh, and all of these uh, Nietzsche, the German atheistic uh, philosophers. But they never got over their sense of that they had this, this mission. And so, in, in a sense, it, it, you give them a chance, as Reagan did. The Reagan administration was basically the first one to actively go after Jews. Midge Dechter pointed this out in her memoir about how shocked she was. Her husband was Norman Pedaritz, and these Jews were known as neoconservatives. Okay, and we thought, oh, neoconservatives are different. Well, they're not really. They just put more emphasis on certain things than other things. Like Ben Shapiro will say, well, I'm, I'm against abortion. But well, that's because he's a Zionist, and abortion is not big, a big issue uh, for them. It's more of a left-wing issue, more a sexual liberation issue. Uh, but he's still a, a flaming Zionist when it comes to, to, to Israel. And so you, it, it goes back and forth. You had, you know, the neoconservatives were in power at the time of George Bush. There was a, a good book out called uh, Fatal Embrace by a guy named Ginsburg. And he said, if you talk to these neoconservatives Jew to Jew, they will admit that they don't care one way or the other about abortion and that they're only talking about this so that they can get votes from the, he says, the riffraff. What he really meant to say was the goyim. So I think it was dishonest from the beginning. I don't, I don't want to accuse uh, Ben Shapiro of dishonesty, but I don't know what he says in private when he's talking Jew to Jew. Does he laugh up his sleeve about the dumb Goyim who paid $25,000 to have him come in and give a, a stupid speech in South Bend, Indiana about uh, abortion? I don't know, but that's what Ginsburg said about the neoconservatives. 
So they get us into the war in Iraq, and that's a mess. And then, okay, well, we're not going to put up with that anymore. We'll bring in a, a Democrat. And so they bring in Barack Obama. Okay, and for a certain time, uh, you got the sense Barack Obama couldn't stand Benjamin Netanyahu's guts. He hated this guy. They, uh, he absolutely hated him. And part of this uh, was because he was brokering a nuclear deal with Iran. Okay, so, okay, that was good. I was in Iran when this thing was being brokered, and everybody felt uh, hopeful at this point. And then uh, he gets voted out, and you, we vote for Trump because Trump was signaling America first. He was, that was the speech he gave in South Bend, Indiana. It was, let's get the manufacturing base going again. This is America first. And as soon as he gets in power, the foreign policy is Israel first. And he, he's even worse. He's worse than any president before that. So he, he's a guy who, uh, you know, released Jonathan Pollard, the biggest traitor in American history, the guy who murdered uh, General Soleimani, which is basically the cause of this uprising. They didn't forget that. This is payback for the murder of Soleimani. And so what you have to conclude is it's, as Father Cochran would say, it's two, two wings of the same bird of prey. And that's what prompted me to write the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Who cares whether you put a conservative label on them or a liberal label on them or whatever label you put on them, they're Jews and you have to deal with them as Jews. If you don't, you won't understand what's going on. And this is the fundamental problem we have uh, with people like uh, Colonel McGregor right now. By the way, I haven't heard a peep out of Colonel McGregor about the war in, the, uh, in Israel right now. About the, I haven't heard a peep. If you have, let me know what he's saying. But he was constantly talking about the war in the Ukraine. And he'd get together with Tucker Carlson, who uh, is, uh, his father was in the CIA. He's an Episcopalian. He represents that kind of wasp elite that was the founding group of the CIA that been disenfranchised by the Jews, by the takeover of the Jews, and so on. And when they get together, all they can say is neoconservative. That's the only word they can say. Blinken is not a neoconservative. He's not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. He's a Jew. He just said that. <laughs> why, why are we afraid to quote him? He shows up in Tel Aviv and he says, I come to you not just as secretary of the state of state, but as a Jew, he's identifying that he's identifying where his interests lie. He's identifying why he cannot possibly broker a peace deal in the United States. Why can't we say that? And why can't we draw the consequences from what he is saying? And the consequence is you can't have these people appointed to any position in government because they never represent the interest of the American people. <clears throat> but no, uh, this is an interesting question about Douglas McGregor. I haven't heard uh, anything from him either about Gaza or, or Israel. Um, Tucker said he supported Israel, but still he, uh, he um, pissed off uh, Ben Shapiro because he said uh, something like, uh, we should be America first or something like that. So he said, this shouldn't be our preoccupation or our, our main preoccupation.
occupation and uh, Ben Shapiro got hysterical about it. He couldn't believe it, why Tucker is not on his side, <laughs> although he is on his side, uh, <laughs> because all these Episcopalians are, obviously. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I haven't heard anything uh, smart from Douglas McGregor here. He obviously, he doesn't want to lose credibility um, that he gained while commentating the Ukraine war, and he doesn't want to uh, insult uh, conservative or neoconservative Jews. Um, he spells, obviously. Um, that, that is, in my opinion, w w about Gaza and this, uh, this event's um, last days. Uh, what's your opinion on, on, on this? Um, you know, uh, I, I was asking myself. I, I'm not sure. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not an expert. Uh, this question. I'm not the only one. Um, Mossad was supposed to be the greatest intelligence agency in the world. The uh, Israelis should have had the greatest army in the world, even without the help of 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 America. This is what Ben Shapiro said when asked a couple of years ago um, uh, what would he do if uh, Israel um, went into the war. And he said Israel can help uh, himself. He doesn't right. need the help of America. He's, right. now, he's he's saying, now he's saying the opposite. Yeah, now he's saying the opposite. But yet he said that a couple of years ago. And uh, I, I wondered how is it possible for this not to be a a at least some sort of a psyop or, or full flag operation, what's your opinion on it? Well, I think the best argument came from a general, a for, a, maybe he's a former general, General Halivi, uh, in the uh, in the IDF, uh, and who said that uh, he was in charge of the fence, the security fence around Gaza, the southern section. And he went through the whole rigmarole of what they had to do every day to test that fence and make sure it was absolutely impenetrable. And he said they could not have done it on their own, period. Now, this leads to all sorts of interesting speculation, okay, uh, about political, if it, uh, they let it happen, let's say, assume that they, the, the Egyptians have said that they, Israel, they told Israel that something was going to happen, uh, that Benjamin Netanyahu ignored him. Well, this fits in with that Halevi uh, strategy because uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has a very tenuous hold on power in in uh, Israel, and the purest way to ensure that your power, your hold is better, is to have an external threat. And so Benjamin Netanyahu would have real motivation simply to allow this to happen so that he could declare war and become the, the undisputed leader of, of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of a, a very divided Israel. By the way, that, that same conversation with Ehud Barak about how Israel is, uh, no Jewish kingdom has lasted more than 80 years. He said that the main problem will be division in the state of Israel, that the division has become so deep that it can't, be, it can't possibly be healed and that it will lead eventually to the collapse of Israel. So I think that, uh, I mean, people like Kevin Barrett, Kevin's a, a Muslim, 
uh, and he's uh, proud of what Hamas did in terms of this breakout. They tend to emphasize, he says that they just had really good intelligence. Uh, the other side says that, it, that Netanyahu let it happen. I mean, at this point, uh, I, all I can do is propose the two alternatives. And uh, you'd have to wait for some type of more, more information to come, to come through here. There was a New York Times article that seemed to side with Kevin Barrett's position that the Hamas had really figured out all of the weak points in this whole uh, uh, this whole operation, that they did it on their own, that Netanyahu didn't let them in. I don't know how, how to bring it any farther forward than what I just said at this point. Yeah, it's hard. I'm sure there are many people that know a lot more than me and you, um, that are that live in israel that have power in israel but this really seems a mission impossible for them to have uh, made it w without the help of israelis um, well I, I think they're still faced with mission impossible and this is where i really would like to hear from colonel mcgregor because i'd like to s some type of analysis of the military situation now, I, I went out on a limb a couple days ago, and I said, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be a ground invasion. And as soon as I said it, I'm sure it went right to Benjamin Netanyahu, and I'm sure he called it off because E. Michael Jones said it. Whether that's true or not, the fact is that they did call off the invasion. They said it had something to do with the weather, but I think uh, if you analyze it, I don't see anything but disaster here. How, I, 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 did you see Black Hawk Down? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, but it was a really long time ago. Well, oh, yeah. this, this is about the mil the American military in in uh, in Mogadishu. Mogadishu is uh, basically spread out compared to Gaza. I mean, Gaza is the most densely populated uh, uh, city, state, whatever you want to call it, on the face of the earth. It's high-rise buildings, narrow streets. Uh, that get narrower the farther you get in there. And uh, you've got tanks now, the Merkava, which is a really big tank uh, that didn't go very well when they went into southern Lebanon in 2006. Now, that's tank, that's open fields where the tank can bring its mobility to bear and kind of move around. And they got stopped 500 yards into Lebanon by 1,500 soldiers of Hezbollah because those soldiers had rockets that destroyed the tanks. And when there was a counterattack, they simply retreated into the tunnels, and the Israelis wouldn't go into the tunnels. Oh, I don't think anything's changed since then. I think they've gotten weaker since that time. And I don't think Israelis are willing to go into the tunnels in Gaza. And if you're not willing to go into the tunnel, you're not going to be able to deal with Hamas. And that means you better not go in at all. And I think that's that's the specter that's haunting the IDF right now. Who's who's going to be the first guy to go into the tunnel? Who's that going to be? Uh, uh, the uh, General Brick said that the Israeli army isn't really pre pre prepared to do that anymore. You got a new generation here that uh, is not prepared to to undertake this type of military operation. Well, then you're not going in, and if you're not going in well, then you're not going to conquer Gaza. And if you're not going to conquer Gaza, you're not going to deal with Hamas. I said this days ago, and then lo and behold, they didn't go in. So I feel like the prophet here. 
I have the no honor in my native place, which means he must mean I'm a prophet. Okay, but uh, I I said it, and they didn't they didn't go in. Uh, I don't think they're willing to die for Israel. I think the Jews want Americans to die for Israel. And that's the direction that it's taking right now. Somebody flashed on your comment box of the 2,000 troops, American troops, are going to be landing there or something like that. I hope not. I hope not. But if you watch Fox News, you got all of these uh, retired military guys who are all frothing at the mouth to send somebody, some 19-year-old, to die for Israel again. Well, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't like to say that I would like for Jews to die because I don't want for anyone to die. But I surely hope so that if they send Americans to die for Israel, that they send young Jews to die for Jewish Americans. At least that. It's not going to happen. I guarantee you, that's not going to happen. Jews do not uh, enter the army as privates. I guarantee you that they they enter the army as. Uh, the way Senator or uh, Secretary Blinken enters the war effort at the top, directing it. It's not going to happen. And I just don't, I can feel the resentment here that, uh, that is building, that was building under Trump, which Trump could have focused, but he didn't. He focused it to a certain extent and then backed off. You know, he could have focused this, uh, this resentment at sending Americans to die for Israel in Iraq, in, in Afghanistan, uh, and, and he didn't do it. Uh, and that was his failure. Uh, but someone, I think it's inevitable. I don't know who's going to do it. There's nobody on the political horizon in politics who has any uh, ability to express this. I'm saying if, if Colonel McGregor can't say it, how can you expect... Uh, uh, someone running for office to say it, given the given IPAC's control over the Congress. So, uh, what about Trump? Is Trump still the least bad possibility, alternative, or wh what do you think about it? It seems that way because uh, Ron DeSantis was the great white hope, or great brown hope for a while. And then uh, he blew himself up by completely siding with the state of Israel in a way that was made Trump look moderate by comparison. I think that's how he really promoted Trump's candidacy. Trump looked like a moderate compared to DeSantis. DeSantis passed this flagrantly unconstitutional free speech bill in Florida, uh, basically condemning anyone who's criticized Israel or Jews to jail. And then he went to Israel to sign it, sign it into, into law. <laughs> I mean, do you think nobody noticed? I mean, that, he killed his candidacy at that point. We don't need another guy pandering to the state of Israel. We have too many of them already. The, the, whole, the whole Republican uh, nomination thing is working basically. Who can outdo uh, the other candidates by groveling in front of Israel? And, and nobody can seem to mention, you don't mention this, you don't say things like this uh, on Fox News, you know? This is simply not a category. The, be the best thing that ever happened on Fox News was when uh, Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House of Representatives, said uh, the main problem is uh, Soros prosecutors in the United States. 
And then he said, George Soros funded all these prosecutors who won't enforce the law. And then the, the info babe who was interviewing him says, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to say that word on Fox News. <laughs> A great moment. You can't say <laughs> this, this is this is this is Newt Gingrich, Mr. Conservative. Okay, who was a conservative before this lady was born, and then suddenly you're telling him you can't say the word George Soros? <laughs> what can you say then? This is really what uh, somebody asked. I wonder if Trump is still in bed with Kushner. Whether he is he? Well, he's still his father-in-law. That has yeah. a change. Is that going to change? Yeah. Blood runs thicker than water. I don't see that changing at all. I don't. The big question in American politics is: Did um, Donald Trump learn his lesson from Benjamin Netanyahu for the the way Netanyahu betrayed him and su immediately supported Joe Biden? Yeah, I remember. Did Did Trump learn his lesson? He puts a premium on loyalty. Did he learn his lesson? I can't answer that question. It seems that he hasn't. It seems he, now he's attacking Biden for being too soft on Hamas. And if I, well, okay, Donald, what would you do? This, this brings us back to the military situation, which is really why I, I, I really wish Colonel McGregor would come out of retirement here and talk about this. But basically, what would you do, Donald? Yeah. Are you you got two aircraft carriers? That means you have airplanes. You mean the Israelis don't have enough airplanes already? What are you going to do? Bomb the rubble? What good is that going to do? That's all you can do now because the only other alternative is boots on the ground and sending Americans into the tunnel because the Israelis are afraid to go in themselves. How's that going to fly? Yeah, he's been the whole shtick about um, Trump was that he's not uh, willing to take Americans into wars for uh, other countries. Uh, so the the very the very stance he has now, he would be uh, a little bit more harsh on 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 Hamas is against his best principles. That got him the 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 fame amongst the the conservatives. This is the problem. As soon as Israel uh, enters the question, as soon as the Jews enter the equation, all rules go out the window. It's the a universal exception. Okay, it's the universal get out of jail card. It it none of the rules apply as soon as you start talking about Israel or the Jews. That's the biggest problem in American political life right now. Who gave these people the right to be above the law? That's the fundamental crisis in America right now. Is there a group that is above the law? Is there a group that can wreck your life uh, simply because you said something they don't like? This goes against everything that America stands for. Is there a group that's above the First Amendment that can veto the First Amendment? You have a guaranteed right to free speech up unless you say something Jews don't like. Well, we can't survive under that condition. We just had that big battle between Elon Musk and the ADL. Okay, and it seems that they've reached a, a compromise there. 
the ADL is going to advertise on uh, Twitter or X. And uh, basically, Trump has imposed the ADL's rule on on uh, on his platform, which is basically freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. And that's pretty much what I'm seeing. I'm seeing there are certain things. I don't know who's in charge of me, but, you know, God bless Elon Musk. He put me back on. He hasn't done anything to me. I'll periodically I get a little notice saying uh, someone said you violated the rules. Upon examination, we decided you did not uh, violate the rules of Twitter or the laws of the state of Germany. <laughs> now Germany is going, the EU is now going to try to impose their uh, speech codes on the United States of America through Twitter. That's what they're going to try, try and do right now. So I've been, I've been, so God bless uh, Elon Musk. I got back on at the, in the spring. I have now over 60,000 followers. I hope the ADL isn't listening. Cover your ears, Moisha. Cover your ears, Jonathan. This, this is not for you. Okay, I just did something yesterday, talked about what we're talking about today. Uh, one tweet got over 900,000 uh, listeners. It got between three and 4,000 comments. That was as of yesterday, and it was still climbing. So we are now allowed to have this discussion even under the ADL rules because uh, of the way they're being applied. He's got to do that. He, Musk has to do that because if he doesn't do that, he'll be, end up destroying his own platform and he'll lose, instead of just losing $22 billion in value, he'll lose $44 billion in value. So he's got to do it, and that's the kind of standoff I think that we've reached on the Internet now. Um, here's somebody saying that Trump is blaming Netanyahu for the invasion, so that is better than we have seen from anyone. Have you noticed that? Uh, actually, I did see, I saw a headline, something along that line. I think this is Trump, uh, uh, Trump's payback for Netanyahu stabbing in the back over Biden. So that is good. I agree. I don't, I, look, I'm a, I, I'm a guy who's always looking for hopeful signs. I'm not a doom and gloom guy, okay? But uh, if that's the case, then that's good. But he's going to have to make it more specific. He's going to have to be more specific in his attitude, because all I'm seeing is, you know, Biden is too soft on Hamas. If I were president, I would, you know, this wouldn't have happened, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, is there a possibility that Jews have chosen the timing of the final showdown with Palestinians just now while Ukraine is losing the war against Russia? I think that's a really good, uh, a good question. This, so if, if we go back to those two scenarios, uh, let it happen, uh, this would be one of the main reasons to let it happen. I, I've already mentioned Benjamin Netanyahu is trying to hold on to power. This would be an even more uh, powerful reason to shift everyone's attention to Israel because the war is collapsing in, in the Ukraine. You've got support uh, in the United States Congress disappearing as we speak. It's evaporating as we speak. There's a consensus emerging in the world that they've already spent too much money on the Ukraine, that Zelensky's a corrupt politician whose wife spends a million dollars on jewelry when she goes to New York. 
the other thing that's emerging basically is that uh, a lot of the weapons that Hamas is using are American weapons that they got from the Ukraine. They've all been purchased from the Ukraine because the Ukrainians are corrupt uh, selling the weapons that people sent over there and enriching themselves. So that's, that, that's a good point. A good point may very well be that this was time to distract everyone's attention from the losing effort in, in the Ukraine. It, it occurred to me, uh, please tell me your own opinion. Uh, I don't want to put, mm, put words in your mouth, but it occurred to me that, for example, it's obvious that Jews, or at least many Jews, or some Jews are behind the mass immigration of, of, um, from Muslim and African countries to Europe. But it also seems that Jews or many Jews or some Jews are behind the dehumanization of Muslims for the perspective of a European. So they, they, they are trying to bring the Muslims here and in the same time they are trying to, to portray Muslims as this wild terrorists and what's, and what's the contradiction there's no contradiction there they know they're i don't care they may they probably feel that muslims are subhuman they feel that the goyim are subhuman but they're they're uh, maybe they feel they're animals someone someone just got uh i i tweeted uh Amer uh israel is involved in the ethnic cleansing of gaza something really innocuous like that and then a professor at the university of uh uh in St. Louis, St. Louis University, one of the universities in St. Louis, he responds to my tweet by saying, this isn't ethnic cleansing because the Muslims, are, uh, because the Palestinians aren't human beings. Well, he just got fired for saying that. So for once, they got the right guy, okay? He shouldn't have said something like that. But it, it's certainly not contradictory. If you feel that these people are animals who are simply not rational creatures and react like animals and are, you know, vicious and so on and so forth. Well, sure, send them to Europe because we hate Europe anyway, and we're going to pay Germany back for the Holocaust, and we're going to uh, take over Europe. They've already announced this. Barbara Lerner Spectre, look her up on YouTube. She's still on YouTube saying that the Jews will play a role in making Europe a truly uh, international community by uh, flooding them with uh, immigrants that they don't want. So I don't see there's any contradiction there. They won't let uh, immigrants into Israel. The, the, even if you're a Jew, if you're a black Jew from Ethiopia, uh, you're going to encourage uh, encounter discrimination. So I, I don't think there's any contradiction there. It also seems that they, they don't even like their own people, not even even the white white uh, Jews uh, that are that are um, from art, Orthodox faith or something like that. They, they don't even seem to like them. Um, well, that, they always say if they're wherever you find three Jews, there are going to be four opinions. They, I think that if you go back to this theological, go back as far as they do, they're obsessed with these Jewish kingdoms that never worked out, you know, uh, and God warned them at the beginning, don't, don't ask for a king because it will not go well with you. And usually they say, you know, if you have a king, he'll take your children and they'll have to run after his chariot and so on and so forth. I think the other side of it is that you're not capable you're, not, you're really not capable of acting like normal 
a normal kingdom in this world because you're so you're so uh, antagonistic toward logos and that you're going to be fighting with each other all the time and that's that's pretty much what what's happening here they're fighting with each other the only time they can ever get together is when they have some type of external threat i've often said i'm the only guy who can bring jews together <laughs> as soon as soon as I enter the room, they're all united uh, against me. But that's the dynamic that they have because there's no logos. If there's no logos, there's no order. There's no internal principle of order. They don't believe in internal principles of order. And so as a result, they can't get along with each other. One last question. Any opinion you ever had on Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, Jr. Um, as a candidate for, for, for a presidency? Uh, somebody wrote um, today that he's probably gonna um, bring CIA down, but he's not going to go against Jews. This is probably true, isn't it? Well, I mean, he came, he's got the legacy. He, he's in a strong position when he says that uh, they killed my father and my uncle, but then he's got to define who they was. And he's defined it as the CIA without any uh, acknowledgement that the Jews were in involved in that. You know, that, uh, that John F. Kennedy was in a toe-to-toe -to -toe battle with David Ben-Gurion over the, uh, the, uh, the nuclear reactor, whether they were going to get uh, nuclear weapons. And if you don't think that has something to do with being killed, or you don't know about all the Jewish people who were involved in that, This, this is what I'm saying here. He's crippled because he can't deal with that issue. And so he's got that legacy and he can't apply it because as soon as the Jew comes up, he's got to have this knee-jerk, reflexive, I stand with Israel reaction without any sense of how that wrecks everything he stands for. He's the Democratic version of Ron DeSantis, you know? So they, they spring a trap on him with that talk that he gave after dinner i'm sure he didn't know he was being videotaped but where he said that there was something about jewish dna that COVID didn't work on it or something like that they immediately attacked him as an anti-semite and then shmuley boutique says no no i know him uh, he's uh he's he's not an anti-semite and so he immediately then grabs an israeli flag and starts running down fifth avenue waving an israeli flag that's not that's not smart we, you have to realize that those days it's not 1968 anymore We have too much conscience. The fact that you and I are talking openly about this uh, on the internet is a sign that that Logos is rising and has risen way beyond what is allowable in political speech. And sooner or later, the politicians are going to have to catch up to where speech is now. Because if they don't, they're not in the game. There's an opportunity waiting for some one politician out there the first politician who is willing to say uh, we're not going to go to war for Israel again. That's, that could be an opening. We're not going to allow dual citizens to uh, be appointed to any office in the United States of America. These are beginnings. They're just waiting for some politician to make use of them. Somebody accused me of saying that Keith Woods was from Britain and I was supposed to be an idiot for it. Um, yeah.
Look, man. I think I think he's from Ireland. They're a little bit sensitive about uh, being yeah, called yeah. part of Great Britain now. Yeah, I I realize I I apologize for your um, sensitive Irish feelings uh, for it, uh, but you have to understand me also. I'm from Slovenia. I uh, I don't care about your feelings. I, I care on, on a grand scale things uh, as I care about the feelings of all Europeans, but I really, I know he's from Ireland. I care. I, Keith, Keith, I care. I'm half Irish, so I half care about this. <laughs> I apologize to you too. Um, yeah, I know Keith is from, from Ireland and I know it's a, it's a bit touchy for you Irish people. Uh, you Irish people, I'm half I'm half insulted by what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you Irish people, you German people, uh, the the other half is German, isn't it? I'm I'm biracial. I'm Irish and German. <laughs> okay. I apologize if I. Uh, this is a new. I know you pure-blooded Slovenians, you pure-blooded European people find this hard to understand, but <laughs> it's. Cla I'm a class classic American, biracial Irish German. It's the biggest ethnic group in America. I myself am a mixed uh, Slovene, uh, ethnically mixed Slovene, and my mother is Macedonian. She's from uh, what's today called Northern. Macedonia, uh, they get mad uh, because it's, of course, it's a Jewish uh, plot to <laughs> that caused the this total humiliation of the Macedonian people. Um, but um, yeah, let's have, let's I'll, let's not get into Balkan politics. It's it's life is difficult enough. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, who? Somebody mentioned Vivek. He respects the right of Israel to exist, although Israel didn't do that to his uncle. I said that. Thank you for retweeting that. It's true. Okay. I like Vivek. I'm hoping Trump and him team up. Vivek seems... I don't know anything about Vivek. Vivek is a street shitter. Vivek has to stop saying true things and then denying having said them. He's not a serious person. I don't know. Do you know anything about Vivek? No, not really. I I don't know anything about Vivek. Too. I, want, I listened to him on one occasion, but that was a couple of sentences. I, I don't know anything about him. So um, once again, apologize to Irish people. I know it's um, hard uh and thanks to dr jones for coming today um for everything you said doctor for 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 your knowledge for your willingness to come it's really it's really been a privilege as always um so thanks to all the commentators thanks to all the viewers i hope um you enjoyed it so um have a nice evening have a nice day have a nice afternoon wherever you are. Thanks. Thanks, Alice. It's always it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Doctor. It's a privilege. Bye. Bye-bye.